Dancing with a flashlight on a hook rug, I'm Jasmine. And reminiscing on my bunk bed, I'm Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week we're covering Season 2, Episode 8, sometimes known as Drive with a Dead Girl, or as we're calling it, She's Dead, Wrapped in Plastic, Again. Listeners, there's not a star in the sky tonight, and though the trail is narrowing for Leland and Bob and all of their horrifying secrets, the last few steps are always the darkest and most difficult. So let's rock. This episode first aired on November 17, 1990. It was written by Scott Frost and directed by Caleb Deschanel. Guess who's back? Back, back again. again. Okay. All Bob right. Bob is back. Oh, no. Tell Don't a tell friend. a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Do not tell your friends. Do not tell your friends. Do not. All right. Well, how are you? I am good. How are you? Doing wonderful. Uh, before we kick things off, we would like to give a very special Bookhouse Babe shout out, spotlight. To Abby Darling Customs, you can find her on uh, Instagram at Abby, that's with an I-E, Darling Customs. She is amazing. She is um, an entrepreneur, woman-led, homemade jewelry. I just got in an order from her, some fantastic pieces. You have got to check her out. She is, I mean, amazing. Her styling is great. And she's a huge Twin Peaks fan. So, I mean, we've got to give it up for our for our fandom here, right? Yes, she seems like such a sweetie. And you showed me the jewelry, the pieces that you just got in, and they look amazing. I mean, yes. she does yeah. custom work. So if you're into, if yeah. you want something like specifically Twin Peaks, I would highly recommend Abby. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I'll see oh. myself out. That was a good one. Okay, I'm <laughs> going to give you that. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so happy that we found you, Abby. And thanks yeah. for being a, a listener and a lover of the show. And I'm right back at you. We love you just as much. Yeah, welcome to the bookhouse, babes. Let's chat about Drive with a Dead Girl. Overall thoughts on the episode, I will let you, my dear, go ahead and start us off. Yeah, so listen, Lonely Souls is going to be hard to follow. I feel like you made the comment in our last episode that Lonely Souls should have been, could have been a penultimate episode for season two. I think it would have made a lot of sense. We could have done a really big finale with this episode eight, but that's not what we're getting Uh, I'll grade it on a bit of a curve, you know, because it is going to be hard to follow such a big episode. It feels like Drive with a Dead Girl needed some time to like blow off steam or something after the heaviness of Lonely Souls, which I can grant that. That's okay. But in taking that time to kind of blow off steam, I think we lose some of the momentum that was built up with with the with the past episode. But I will say we get a great opening and a great ending 
And there's obviously still a lot of great stuff that happens in between, specifically some stuff with Ben and Jerry that I was very surprised to be feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm totally loving this. And all the stuff with Ray Wise, so exciting, so great. So, you know, not as good as Lonely Souls, but what episode is, you know, there's not a lot of episodes that are up there with that one. So I absolutely agree. And yes, we'll, I guess we'll give it a curve. And you're right, like, last episode was just so good. It was so tense. And I think you're right. They probably in some ways were trying to maybe lighten up what had just happened in the series. Cause that was really dark and heavy there, especially at the end. So there were a lot of moments where I found myself giggling, you know, during this episode yeah. and I was like, okay, that's yeah. But I agree with also what you're saying with it, losing the momentum of like, okay, so I, I still needed something more from the episode you know it was like I don't want to just be watching it and giggling here and there if that makes sense Mm -hmm. right like I so you're right I mean there was a lot of comedic stuff with Ben and Jerry that I was really into I will always stand Ray Wise I mean his just his portrayal of Leland is just amazing especially after the last episode knowing what we know now yeah really watching him when he's in the Bob character, I guess is how we're, we'll describe that, or when he's Bob, just the facial expressions and everything. I was living for it, but yeah, so not as good, but I'm not going to say it's the worst. So there no, you go. Far, far <laughs> from the worst episode of Twin Peaks, that is for sure. Yeah. I like, I wonder if, okay, so I, I called it like blowing off steam, but I'm also now wondering is like, is Bob... In some way, does Bob know that, like, is he getting ready to, like, move on? Because I feel like Leland is being sloppy. And so maybe he's just, like, having fun at this point. Like, he's done, he's he's killed the two girls that look alike, and he's kind of had his fun, and now he's just doing whatever. Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? That's just coming to me, so it's kind of choppy, but... No, I I understand what you're saying because by the end of the episode, I had so many thoughts where I was like, why is he, it, it, it has seemed so meticulous up till now. Like last episode, especially, we don't get to see what actually happened between him and Laura, but we do see what happens with him and Maddie. So the putting on of the gloves, the everything, just for it to be very meticulous, like, you know, yeah. um, uh, method killer, I guess you could say, like they're, there are steps to what he's doing there or whatever. Yeah. For him to be so la 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 now and like so many times could have gotten, I guess, quote unquote, caught in what he had just done with Maddie. It just seemed very sloppy. And I was like, so what's okay? What's the tea here? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like the driving scene in particular, which we yeah. can talk about that when we get there. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, damn fine facts for this week. I don't have any whoops. Um, I did. I just didn't. Nothing in the episode really kind of called to me to look up any further. I did for a few minutes look up the woodpecker to see if there was any interesting symbolism. There was just nothing there that really fit with the episode. Nothing that really struck me as like, oh, I need to bring this up. So we've just got the date tracker. This episode takes place on Friday, March 10th. And that's it. That's all for this week. We look forward to those damn fun facts, but I agree with you. Like even throughout, because I think you and I have like talked about this before. We're like, we can almost to a science now know what each other 
is thinking when it comes to like I don't even have to ask I kind of already know what's going to be in the damn fine facts so I don't put it in my notes and then every week it's there and I'm like perfect we're we're still synced up yeah and then this week it was like oh I wonder what could even go into the damn fine facts from this episode (laughs) I know and behind the scenes I fully texted Mel's and was like hey was there anything that you thought might be in the damn fine facts this week just like asking for a friend or whatever (laughs) yeah and I was like nothing other than the woodpecker she was like same okay so (laughs) we're still the same wavelength (laughs) doppelganger while hot off the heels of a murder Leland treats the Palmer home like a local driving range Donna and James drop by to wish Maddie farewell but it's too late (laughs) so we do open I mean I tried to make light of what we do actually open with which is the I guess the finishing up of the murdering of Maddie which was really Mm -hmm. I mean I didn't think it would affect me. It's very weird. Like, I, I found myself feeling the exact same as I did after watching the last episode. I didn't think I, it would do that for me for such a short clip. You know what I mean? Like, but it was very haunting. You just see the house and you just hear the screams and yeah. you, the thuds and you know what's going on. And you're just like, Ugh. like right now I've got the chili pups, even just like describing it, you know? Yeah. I was really impressed with how well that short establishing shot gets you back in the vibe of where episode seven leaves off. That was so well done. And then that's kind of why it feels disappointing as things kind of seem to just lose the momentum as the episode goes. But yeah, that was such a such a effective way of getting our minds back into what we just left. And then you hear this like thudding and you're like, Ooh. What what is he up to now? Like what what fresh hell are we about to enter yet again in the Palmer house? And then he's just playing golf. And yeah. it's so bizarre. Bizarre is the perfect word. I mean, I've said this several times. I really binged like Jasmine had to tell me several times to slow down on <laughs> how fast I was consuming Twin Peaks. So I I didn't know the how long Bob stayed in Leland that sounds kind of weird but like how often do they flip out like what happens in that so I didn't know going into the golf scene if it was Leland or if it was still Bob which we see in the mirror it is still Bob but now I'm able to pick up you know okay so when Leland's kind of acting more this way it's a strong possibility that it's more Bob at the wheel of the Leland mobile (laughs) If you want to see, <laughs> think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> then him in the back seat, right? Yes, so, yes. Uh, but it was, but the whole scene was very frantic. Like, every, like the golf balls everywhere. Just the way he was talking to Sarah, you know, like yes, honey, and and just that that goofy, weird behavior, which we now can go back in time and put a put something on that, saying, okay, well, all of those times he was acting like a fucking nut. Well, that was Bob, and that was that whole effect of that, which is just, I just want to take a moment and get kind of meta within this is that is very complex thinking for a character for an early nineties, like primetime television show. Like I look at a lot of TV and I'm like, "Mm, maybe some of the characters are two dimensional, maybe. But if you really sit back and think like, wow, like as a viewer, you are put in the perspective of, is he Leland? Is he Bob right now? And then how can I go back and think about all the things that have happened and now be able to put a face, no pun intended, like Bob's face on these actions that I just love the thought process that comes along with it. 
Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it, I love it. It shifts all of these times that we were looking at Leland and thinking, okay, this is a really like sort of complex expression of this man's grief, or it's this quirky behavior that's, that is maybe because of the grief or whatever. And it's like, oh, this was always super sinister and unhinged. Exactly. Yeah. Man, so good. Like I could just, oh my gosh, I could just make out with David Lynch and Mark Frost. But anyways, (laughs) Maybe Ooh. in another life. We'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure I would get a decline on both of those invitations. So I, it'll be I okay. Don't know. I don't know. It's <laughs> worth asking. I know you're listening, Frost and Lynch. I'm available. Hit me up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then Donna and James do stop by. Uh, they wanted to tell Maddie goodbye, but Leland tells them that he's already dropped her off at the bus station like 20 minutes ago. It's just, Everything about it is just dripping with, we obviously know what happened, but just looking at like Donna and James and then them kind of like cutting up and giggling over how many golf balls and oh gosh, that's that quirky little weird Leland, you know, that's all of a sudden appeared after Laura's death. But I don't know if you noticed, but I, I rewinded a couple times because that change in his face when he hears them giggling. Yes. When he's coming down the stairs, I that was so throwaway to me. I know the first time watching it around, I didn't notice it until the, but I like I said, I watched it like a couple of times, and it's just like he's come down the stairs. You can see that um, sinister is a good word, but also what is it like a an insecurity or some kind of self esteem yes, thing? Like yes. is he are they laughing at me? You know, type thing. But threatened. then he can, yeah. But then he can switch it off so easy when he like you know, talks to him again. Oh, it is. Anyway, it's just, it's great. It's absolutely great. It is. And at first I'm annoyed with Donna and James for laughing. And I think it's because I know the kind of danger that they might be in. And I'm like, you fucking idiots, like just get out of there. But for them, yeah, it's like, oh my God, what is Leland up to? Like, this is a little bit silly, right? So, and I think it's worth saying that Sarah seems to have no fucking clue what's happened. No, no, no. I think that's very safe to say. Yes. <laughs> Dear, don't forget about our reservation or whatever. Sign us up for Sign whatever that thing was. Sign us up for Glenn Miller night, I think. Something yeah. Like I was like, what is that? Anyway. Mm. But then obviously Maybe we Maybe that should have been out. a damn fine uh, fact. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I didn't think about it till now, so it's okay. Uh, but we do close the scene out with him putting something into the golf bag and just like Maddie's the top of her head and like her fingers like... All I keep thinking is, okay, I mean, I know that she's a petite gal, but I I know what a golf bag looks like. I just don't know how you stuff a person into a golf bag, but no. I'm gonna say this. For anybody that's watched The Americans, you'll recall the suitcase scene. That's what I think happened, but I don't wanna spoil it for Mel's because one day she will oh. watch The Americans. So Yes, I will. That is a promise. So we'll just put a pin in that. Boop. Pinned it. Ben and Jerry talk strategy at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department and also take a stroll down memory lane with a flashback featuring a flashlight. Now, <laughs> Ben's in jail. Uh, it's just the hilarity of him being like in this dirty, grungy, <laughs> yucky jail cell and like that suit and everything was just great for me. But um, basically, Jerry comes in, tells him he looks terrible. Ben's like, all right, wait, let's, the thanks for the pleasantries. Let's get on yeah. with, you know, <laughs> what's what, what's going on here. And 
I guess I must have missed this somehow, just like I missed Leland being a lawyer. But it's like, oh, so now Jer is a lawyer as well and he's going to take care of Ben. I was like, you need to run for your life, Ben, because there is no way I would leave my life in the hands of Jer. <laughs> That's all no, I have to say Jer about that. Jer is like just doing cosplay, I think. I mean, I, I <laughs> we find out later that he did go to law school. He took the bar, but did very, very poorly. Um or maybe he even failed. But anyways, to yeah. me, he's just like dressing up as a lawyer. Like he's put on a more tame suit than he usually wears. He's got the pipe. He actually has like a book of law stuff, which I find so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, and so he's just he's honestly just playing another role. You know, he plays these roles when he goes to these different countries to talk to the people that they're in business with. And this is just yet another hat for him to put on. You know, he's loving it. But actually, he yeah. feels quite depressed. So, <laughs> yes, he's loving it, but he's also not loving it at the same yes, time, which yes. is just I, typical Jerry. I love this memory that they have. This is, I think, one of my favorite scenes ever. It's it's so interesting to me. It it really it really pulls on so much of what Twin Peaks is like. Twin Peaks does deal a lot with nostalgia and with like going into the past. I mean, there's a heavy like 50s vibe throughout the original seasons of Twin Peaks. And that's, of course, like I think anyway, the sort of era that they're calling back to during Ben and Jerry's childhood. But even just like the visual of it, the way that Ben and Jerry are so clear because they're the ones remembering it, right? So they can sort of see themselves clearly, whereas this Louise Dombrowski, or however you say it, <laughs> she's a little foggy. She's a little hazy. Like, she is sort of a construction of their memory in a way, right? And it could also just be that she was dancing with this flashlight, so it was creating this, like, fun effect, and that's the way that the director wanted to bring it to life. But I just thought the 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 way that this was presented was so interesting and and really resonated with me even down to the idea that Jerry says he's depressed and what happens when you're feeling sad? Sometimes you go into the past, you go into these memories, you go into these more, these nicer, these easier places where you can escape for a little bit. It's such a, it's such a nothing scene. And yet it's so, it's so deep, I think. And I think a lot of people just brush it off as like, oh, another silly Twin Peaks moment, you know? Oh, I agree. Yes. I mean, this was, this was a great scene. It's one of my favorites out of the episode. I I will say that. It what I loved about it for me was like, you know, Ben and Jerry reminiscing on their childhood together. You know, they're on the bunk beds in the police station, but it takes them back to their bond and what they had together as brothers when they were younger. So it's almost like Louise Dramama Mama or whatever her name was. <laughs> Dramama Mama. Oh, no. Yeah. I, the name sometimes I'm just like, where are you getting this from? But I know. she, it's almost like she's never meant to be the focal point of that memory. Yeah. I think the memories, the focal point of that memory is actually just to show that Ben and Jerry do have a bond that's more than just surface. Yes. Like you start to kind of see that it's deeper than just two brothers that are kind of wild and kooky and whatever, and they get into some mischief. Well, but when you see memories like this, it takes you back to a, a more innocent, simpler time in their childhood where they shared a very great memory together. And it just sheds light on like that familial, you know, aspect of it. Because I think you, you get caught up in the comedy of Ben and Jerry a lot. And that blood's thicker than water type thing or like thickest thieves with family. You know, that that whole like saying that people like to say, you know, like 
I can talk about my family, but you can't. That type of thing. Well, I think it's moments like this where that really shines because it's meant to show yeah. you they they do they're closer than what maybe you thought they were to begin with. I think is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. So. Despite how gross I think they both are individually, there's nothing about their bond and their respect and love for one another that I don't buy. I right. I, I know that they would be there for each other through anything like I just it's one of the strongest relationships on the show in a funny way yeah yeah Lucy's back with Gwen her sister and we are delighted to learn that some of Hawk's best friends are white people (laughs) are we delighted I hate this interaction (laughs) I hate it so much that I don't know if it conveyed that it should have been dripping in sarcasm but I just was like why like also okay so I'm glad Lucy's back and she's come back with her sister and the her nephew or the sister's child, Carl, I think is his name. But uh, it is, it's also this, to me, it felt so relevant for this to be like 30 years ago, I right? Know. But the fact that you have a, a white person. Yeah. Um, now, I... I have some Native American um, in my family and we're very like, we're very proud of that. And we celebrate that heritage, but I've always marked, you know, Caucasian as my ethnicity because that, you know, you you can cut all that out. But anyways, what I'm trying to say here is that I mean, that's you're, you're able to pass as white. So it's a different privilege. Yeah, exactly. I just love this scene of a white woman apologizing to, you know, a native person. And I'm so sorry for the way that you were treated. It's just, oh, I, I we've talked about this, like when Leland was on trial, just about how the themes in this show, just, I don't know what that says for our society. Like we're not growing as a society yeah. that we're still 30 years later can say, well, that's pretty applicable still nowadays. But it's, you know, it's this whole thing of like, I'm so sorry of how you were treated Here's a bland white person apology. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying all this, but I'm just, no, I've got to release what's in my mind. It's like a bland white person apology. Like, yeah. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And then it's someone's comeback. And I think it was meant to be in a sarcastic way of him saying, no big deal. Most of my friends are white people. You know, a type of thing where it's like uh, someone can say, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. You know what oh I mean? Oh my God, like, I wrote the same thing. I was like, <laughs> are they poking fun at the way that I white people so. will use that? Because I think that so. part of the interaction, it's it's so interesting. There's so many different ways to read this interaction. I'm, I'm interested by the fact that you see this more as an apology because to me, it feels more like white guilt. Like this white person had never met a Native American before, had no fucking idea what to say and was just like, oh man, you must hate us. You know, like. No, you're right. It's not, it's not an apology. It is white guilt. That's exactly what it is. But that's why I say it's this like bland white person apology where it's like. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. A non-apology or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, even if Like, I feel like this could have led to a better conversation had it not been an episode of Twin Peaks. But what a shitty thing to say to somebody at their place of work where they might feel alienated or like they're backed into a corner, like they have to answer in a specific way. And I'm I'm trying to look like I'm wondering about the writer. So it's Scott Frost. It's Mark Frost's brother. Maybe you'll meet him when you guys have that threesome. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Maybe you can ask him and let us know. But 
I, it's like, is this, I just, I don't know what angle this was coming from. Like, was this meant to poke fun at this kind of thing that, you know, the white guilt, the white people saying, oh, I have, I can't be racist. I have a black friend or whatever. Was it ahead of its time, quote unquote, in that way for even bringing those themes up? Or is this just a really, are we reading into it more than it deserves? Like, are we just more aware and more educated so we're able to look at it from that lens? But really, it was just, were they just trying to make Hawk be like, was, were they trying to allow Hawk to apologize, not apologize, but um, wipe the slate clean in some kind of way? I don't know. There's so many different ways to read it. And maybe we're over reading it, honestly. Well, I'm going to be honest. I feel like it's probably a mixture of all of these things. I think that Twin sure. Peaks is hi- is highly intel is it is a highly intelligent show. Um, so whether or not someone watching it even 30 years from now could probably pick out even more things mm-hmm. because who knows in 30 more years what how we will have evolved hopefully or where we'll be at as a society. Yeah. But the the underlying issue of that still being the play or the go-to play for someone like we talked about with, well, I have a black friend or I have a white friend, you know, like I can't be this because of this, which is not true. Like those two don't don't go together. It's always been there. Like that's always been on the table. Maybe we're just more hyper aware of it now because we are a different generation and we are taking the time to educate ourselves more, you know, so that's why I say like, with it being so ahead of its time 30 years ago, I can only imagine 30 years in the future. And I hope I get to see this. Like people watching it then, what issues or what take are they going to have on specific things that they do in the show? You know, because we, sometimes it feels like we evolve, but we're still standing still, which is a very weird thing. No, but it's Uh, so true. So true. You know, it is. And so... Yes, we're becoming more aware of it. Yes, we're probably reading a lot more into it than they might have even thought about at that time. But I think that's what makes Twin Peaks such a good show is that we're able to have this kind of conversation around a two-minute scene, you know, in a TV show. Yeah, like part of the episode, honestly. Yeah. Right. So I think that's why I say I think it's a mixture of all those things, but I think that's what makes it so great. Leland channels his inner Bob Fosse at the Great Northern when Harry informs him of Ben's arrest. So here we are. And Leland is once again acting a fucking fool. I mean, I I was like, who are you, Fred Astaire? Like, what is this fiddler on the fucking roof? I mean, get like, put the umbrella down. Just I have a question. Stop. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> did, okay, so whatever spirit realm that Bob usually kicks <laughs> it in or whatever, was he actually kicked out because his spirit friends were like, you fucking dance and sing too much and we're sick of this shit. But but I'm just wondering now, like, why didn't Bob inhabit somebody from Hollywood where he could Ugh. live out these fantasies without being like gawked at every day? I mean, honestly, he would fit in in Hollywood. It's so much murder. It's so much like... <laughs> And then you have the entertainment on top of it. Like, he probably wouldn't. He never would have gotten caught (laughs) if he had just taken it down to Hollywood. Uh, I really 100% think that he was kicked out of his spirit posse. And they were like, we're done with you. Okay. It's time for you to go find some other poor fool. Make sure they're limber because they're going to have to go through a lot of stuff with your nonsense, Bob. And Mm -hmm. Bob was like, whatever. Fuck y'all. I got my denim jacket on. I'm out (laughs) of here. 
Yeah, the the range of motion he gets in this denim outfit is so impressive. <laughs> I mean, you would think it was soft denim. Like, why? Like, how it many times was be. it washed? It yeah, exactly. Be. Yeah, like a hundred wash <laughs> denim or something crazy. But I mean, Ray Wise just continues to impress. I feel like we fangirl over him every week, but just. He is just, he really is blowing off steam at this point. He's just having fun. Like he, he did the deed or whatever last night and he's feeling good. And I mean, yeah, it's just, I love watching him in these moments. Yeah. He released some steam, poor Maddie. And (laughs) and now he's ready to dance the night away. Uh, But he, and Harry does tell, oh God. Okay. I've, I just got to get this all out because so many thoughts I couldn't keep up in my notes. So Harry tells Leland that they have arrested Ben or yeah, the or Ben's in jail. You know, they've taken him in on, mm-hmm. on the suspicion of being involved in Laura's murder at this point. Leland, Bob, whoever you want to call him at this point, this whole rigmarole that goes on after this, when he goes around the corner and then he starts laughing, crying. And then Cooper is talking to him, but his back is still turned. Listen, it's the eye roll for me, okay? I watched that five <laughs> times in a row. It is that eye roll that is yes. like, you've got five more minutes on the Xbox, and then you have got to take a bath and go to bed. You have school tomorrow. That was a, that was a, I, fuck you, mom and dad eye roll that Bob Leland gave Cooper. <laughs> he was like, I'll be sure to let you know, I roll. He just <laughs> wants to dance with his golf clubs. <laughs> Leave him alone, okay? He's got a six o'clock show to get ready for. He's not interested in helping you with the murder investigation. Come on, priorities, people. (laughs) I, I am so glad that Coop is finally sensing something. And at first I was like, why hasn't he sent something before? Because of all of this other sort of spiritual stuff that he's into. And then I started wondering, is it because... Is it because of the giant vision from last episode? Like, was there something there? You know, we know Coop's a strong sender, but maybe the giant is a strong sender as well. So he was given this message. It relayed something else, some sort of sense. And now finally, like, maybe he doesn't even know why he feels this way about Leland right now, but there's something calling him there. And I'm glad we're on that page now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I agree. Like, I feel like it did take Cooper a hot minute. I was like, "Mm, I feel like your Coopy sense should have kicked in by now, you know? Although, to be fair, I think Coop's been in town for, like, two weeks at this point. That's true. (laughs) I think, I have to remind myself it's not two years. It's only, like, 14 days at this point. Yeah. Ben just took a DNA test. Turns out he's 100% a pile of shit. Now, (laughs) after... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have our very own Bob in the crowd in the house tonight. <laughs> just call me Mizzo. Yeah. Ooh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> After reading Jer for the filth he is, Cooper lets the brothers know that he's on to them. So Ben has to take a DNA test. This is hilarious because Doc Hayward is like snapping those gloves and he's like, don't worry, it's not going to hurt. I just love every piece of this because at first I, I didn't remember that it was a you know, them swabbing yeah. him from DNA. And I was like, what are we, like, you know, like, what scene is I this? Know. Autopsy or something? Yeah. And yeah. then I was like, oh. Or like, where's Jock going to put those gloved fingers? Like, Ooh. what's happening? <laughs> what is going on? Listen, I got Vax flashbacks, though. This won't hurt. Ooh. Fuck you. It's going to yeah. hurt. <laughs> Meanwhile, two days later, I yeah. my life flashed before my out eyes. Of my fog. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, COVID. No. Um, <laughs> 
but I love this because like it is it's still a very chaotic scene like again like the Horn brothers do give off this chaotic energy to me but it's not chaotic in the sense of like high tension it's just so so much always going on between the two of them right yeah. like there's they're always talking they're always bouncing something around and so you know Jerry is trying to say you got to let him go it's been 24 hours you know yada 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 well i love when cooper just steps in and he i'm talking about the library is open darling he read <laughs> him like nobody's business yes he said oh jeremy horn the same one who you know is disbarred in all of these states. Yes. He was, I mean, yeah. he, and then the look on Jer's face, I just shortened his name to Jer. Don't ask me I why. I love it. Um, but the look on his face where he was like, well, <clears throat> I think I'll stand back now. <laughs> you know, like, I get so many like Charlie Kelly bird law vibes from Jerry Horn. Like he has no fucking clue what he's doing, <laughs> but he's playing the part super well in a way, you know? Because he's to. right. He's yeah. like, I'm not the one on trial here. So let's get back to my client, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but Cooper but, does produce the diary. Yes. And he does let Ben know that, hey, you know, she said she was going to tell the world how you really were, whatever, or how you really were. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that means. And then also that you own one eye jacks. And then after that, it's just like, uh oh, OK, might need to actually get some uh, real help here. <laughs> Yeah, it's I I think it's a good thing that we know Ben is into some other shady shit because at this point this is where I start to feel the slowing momentum because we know it's not Ben, right? So these right. scenes, I think Ben and Jerry make it fun, all this stuff about Jerry not being a real lawyer like and yes, there are still some secrets about Ben that I think are interesting enough to learn, but it's like Eh, he's not the killer. We're kind of wasting time. Like I, there's not a lot of satisfaction in watching him get grilled right now. Buckle up, folks. We've got Bobby in a bandana decoding the tape from Leo's shoe, but it won't be long until we meet Bobby the businessman. Ooh. <laughs> Listen, oh, Bobby looks Bobby. good, but I'm fucking disgusted with him right now. I know. Yeah, I, it, I know. Okay, I, I'm sorry, but I imagine that Leo has spit out this food that is now all over Shelly, and then Bobby is looking it up. What is wrong with him? Because <laughs> he's... <laughs> and then he just he's throws a love, down baby. The tape. He just throws down the tape into the mess on the table. Like, I'm I'm disgusted. Yeah, it is gross. Like I am on a wild ride with Bobby, because one episode I love him, the next <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing, sir? You've got a real relationship with Bobby, okay? Let's just I be do. real here. It's true. This is a real relationship. You love him and you hate him at the same time. I do, That's because <laughs> by the end of the scene, I'm like, man, but you guys are still so sexy. Despite every gross no. thing that you guys do, you have so much chemistry, it's insane. Insane. Oh my gosh. I know. And, it, you know, I find it funny that Shelly's like, I've had it with Leo. And he's like, don't worry, baby. I've, you know, got a plan because he's going to somehow try to get tangled up with Ben Horn right over. Because mm-hmm. now he knows that Leo was the arson for the meal. But, you know, he says, don't worry, baby. I'm going to be coming into some money executive style, you know. And she's like, oh, a full-time nanny. And I'm like, she's so sensible because, I like, know. it's already a, a mom taking care of a toddler. You know, it's like, I want a full-time nanny. And he's like, how about a French maid? Okay, listen, <laughs> I, I'm not here to, like, kink, fetish shame, whatever. But the French maid trope, I mean, this just had to be wildly popular during that time. Because yeah. I, and nowadays it's like... Now. 
that's so lame. Yeah, like, or tame, I guess I should say, like, people wear that on yeah. Halloween now. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Vivian is in town to visit her daughter and steal Toad's food. Can't this guy just have a fucking meal in peace? <laughs> Poor Toad. Norma, I know, I know. Norma suspects Hank's back to his old ways, mainly because he left his bet written on the front page of the Twin Peaks Gazette. Could you get any stupider? So you think that was Hank that did it? Well, I don't know, because by the time I got to the end of my notes, I couldn't tell if it was Hank or if it was um, (laughs) Ernie. Ernie. Well, here's the, I did make a note that, like, I mean, she looks at the paper, and I think it's supposed to be insinuated that Ernie had written this down, but I don't think they do a good enough job of proving that. Like, I think what Norma does is pick up a newspaper that somebody was holding and see some writing on it. She's never seen this man's writing before. I would buy more that it was Hank's because she would actually know his handwriting. So that's an interesting point. But like, I wasn't sold. I was like, you just met this guy. You know your mom. You know your mom's shady, apparently. Like, you gave us the vibe right away that things were not good between the two of you, right? So maybe you're just on your guard. But, yeah, I wasn't sold on her knowing that this belonged to this man at all. Well, you're right about that. I think I struggled maybe with who wrote it because later on we kind of realized, well, you know, that, and we'll talk about it in detail more there, but that Ernie's had a past, but he's trying to be on the straight and narrow. But we know that Hank's still, like, fucking Hank, you know? So it's like, No, I like that. That makes way more sense. Yeah, I was like, thanks for leaving the evidence right on the front page of the newspaper, like, (laughs) that you're betting again. But yeah, so Norma's mom, which is Vivian, bless their relationship because it is actually, it it doesn't remind me, like, specifically of my relationship with my mother, but I've seen it with, like, family members and their parents. But it's that whole, like, oh, you so you've put on a few pounds type thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, you went to college, but you're working here. Like, it's that condescending, like, parent shit. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm just like, man, Norma, like, she's so wholesome, and she's such a, like, good gal. And then, like, her mom's just, like, in... Probably unknowingly, because that's why I say it's like that parent trope, right? Of like tearing the child down without really even realizing what they're doing. You know, they're just like, oh, so you only put fresh linens on the table because you knew this food critic was coming. You know, that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. No, she she seems horror. I mean, the fact that she just takes potatoes off of Toad's plate. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> so intrusive. She's immediately intrusive. So she immediately gives off that vibe of like, overbearing and has too much of an opinion and Mm -hmm. like doesn't know when to shut her mouth and to me it's like you know I think maybe I had been been under the assumption at least in one of my first watches that the diner was like a family run thing that Norma inherited but to me now it seems that she built this and has created like And that's a super huge thing to be proud of. So, like, does her mom have some jealousy about that? I mean, like, is she doing better than her mom? I I guess maybe not because her mom's loaded. So maybe this diner job isn't good enough for her daughter. I don't know. But, like, yeah, Vivian sucks. Yeah, she does. Fuck you, Vivian. Yeah. (laughs) Also, fuck you, Ernie. Don't order a coffee and then walk away. Why'd you you bother? Ugh. With your fucking cell phone. Give me a break. All right. (laughs) His that's the best, line, like, you mean? yeah, that's the best burn I could come up with. Let's so, you know, fuck you and your old cell phone. 
<laughs> Whatever. He does have super weird vibes, like, right away. And I mean... Oh, yeah. I Look at the way he's give dressed. give him benefit of the doubt and say, like... Oh. <laughs> I mean, my God, yeah. he looks like Mr. Roper from Three's Company. Oh, like, my God. Yes. Like, or he looks exactly. like that typical... Like, skis ball character that someone has, like, in a film or a TV yes. show, like, with yeah. the plaids and the uh, tweed, the tweed and all of that. Yeah. Like, His this face the is, gold like, chains. a little greasy, sweaty. <laughs> and I was like, maybe he feels nervous. You know, he re- he loves his wife. He's, like, trying to impress the daughter. But as soon as he makes a comment about Norma's looks, I'm like, well, you're a shithead then. Fine. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm done with you. <laughs> done. With a quick one-two kick of the shoe, Mike escapes the Great Northern. <laughs> I was really proud of myself for writing that rhyme. Just I want you all to know, okay? Uh, <laughs> I feel like Mike, that's the dance he was doing with his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I, I love everything about Mike, Philip, what our man, I mean, yeah. wh- whatever he's being referred Alistair to. Will, this, so good. Oh, gosh. I love it. But he's coming too. You know, he, he senses Bob is close. I love the way this also felt very like um, slasher horror movie in it. And what I mean by that is like, oh, nurse, can you fetch me some water? Now the killer is going to escape. You know what I mean? Like this yes. whole like. Yeah. It, it, because it just seemed very, you know, and yeah, the and cop goes in there. And him. And yeah, yeah. And just boom, boom, knocks yeah. him out. Like, you know, like he's got two arms all of a sudden. I was like, where'd, where'd all this manpower come from <laughs> but anyway uh i love the scene though i i did have a qualm with it where i thought when she went out to get the water just jump out the window like you don't gotta knock the guard out with no you, you don't i mean maybe but he we'll felt see. he didn't have enough time to get out in between them changing of like the changing of the guard there but yeah also i'm confused like does he say does he say the name bob or does he just say he's near Oh, he's, I'm sorry. He says he's close. He's sorry. close. No, I. I just am, took that as I'm Bob. I'm only in this moment thinking, is he now Philip and feels that Mike is coming back? But he hasn't taken Ooh. any meds, has he? Because the other see, thing I that don't threw know. me was that it seemed like Mike was in pursuit of Bob. But in this instance, it seems like he was trying to get away from Bob. Does that make sense? True. So I was like a little hazy on the details of this scene, but. Well, that's true. But I was also thinking about the way he was acting like in that moment in the last episode when they were like lining everybody up at the Great Northern. Yeah. For him to like try to spiritually sense out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, If he was still Mike, I mean, maybe he's just like, fuck this shit. I'm over it, man. Like, get me out of here. You know what I mean? Like, give me some of this man's pills or this whatever he shoots up, you know, that dilapa dapa dapa that we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Like, get me get me some of that. Get me back to Philip, and I just want to, like, forget this ever happened. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, could be. Yeah, I feel like using he's instead of a name left it open enough, and maybe that was purposeful, True. but it also made it confusing and Confusing. Uh, yeah. Well, Hank is gross, but Vivian still wants to know how prison was over dinner. <laughs> so... I hate Hank so much. Like I really don't even uh, honestly want to talk about him. But the way he comes in, and this is, okay, so this is why I started to think, okay, it must have been him putting the betting numbers on that newspaper because, well, we in reality, I guess, know where he was, right? Like he was knocked out 
up at One-Eyed Jack's, right? Like, isn't that the last place that we I'm, saw him? I'm so angry that we don't see what happened between him and Jean Renault. I need I mean, my Jean Renault back. Like, it's yeah. been too long. Are we in a Jean Renault drought? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, don't make me a Jean, a Jean Renault drought. Yes. <laughs> but I need to know because I guess that's only been 48 hours because Norma says, where have you been for 48 yeah. hours? But yeah. It's like from the last time we saw Hank and the predicament he was in until now, like what doesn't add up? So that's why I thought, okay, well, that would just be more evidence that he's back like betting and getting into his old lifestyle because he tells Norma like people are after me and I've got to, you know, I've got to try to make some things right and whatever, you know, whatever that crap is that he's spewing at her. But she is just like, whatever. But I'm confused about Norma because it's like, is there something? Yes, like what is it though? Because it's like it it's it's like a light switch in her almost. So because she goes from disapproving, like, don't touch me, you asshole, look on her face, to oh Hank, next time just ask for help. I don't know. It's very weird, you know? Like, like he he spins a good yarn, I guess. Like ugh. it's good enough for her in some sort of way. That or she's just playing along and she's just doing what she has to do. I mean, she could be she could be acting in that moment for sure. Man, I hate Hank as well, but I think the actor that plays him, Chris Mulkey, is so good in this moment. Like there's just something about the way when he's telling this bullshit story, the way he like touches the little bow on her apron and then caresses her shoulder, caresses her hair. It felt so natural. And yet it had a complete like slimy, slick undercurrent to it because it's Hank. And I don't know how he manages to pull that off, but it's so good. And yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I'm I'm lost as to why Norma would buy this unless, yeah, she's just like, I just have to manage this. I have to like make it work for this much and whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Well, this is how we feel about that. And now we will move on. But I'll, I just have one question, though. Didn't yeah. Vivian just leave for the Great Northern? Why is okay. her ass back in that fucking kitchen making pies? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. What? I, okay. Um. What is time in Twin Peaks? That's Fair. all I wrote. In, that's all I wrote in my notes because I was like, right now, I don't think I have the brain capacity to try and put out a timeline as to how she got checked in at the Great Northern back to the double R and in an apron to make pies. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> this is where having uh, a cue on the soundboard for I need a timeline would be true. I'll see if I can find something and just put it in for now. I need a timeline. I need a timeline, people. Hey, did you see the size of that pecker? <laughs> Pete and Harry talk about birds and about Josie leaving town <laughs> when Josie's story starts to unravel. <laughs> You know what's so funny is that when I was like, oh, maybe I should look into this woodpecker, I was like, well, maybe it's just like really obvious, like Josie, woodpecker, she loved to peck at the wood. And I was like, this is gross. I'm not going to go there. You're like, no, 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 no. Let's just get that right I'll out of here. I'll leave that for Mel. <laughs> you knew I'd pick it up. Just throw this, just throw the slop on the floor. I'll clean it up. Don't worry about that. Uh-huh. But it's very like, okay, as if Harry doesn't have enough going on in Twin Peaks. He's just want, all the man wants to do is look at a fucking bird for like five minutes. Okay. Just let him have a five minute break where he can like bird watch. Yes. He just needed this break. But here comes Pete. Yep. And he's got some bad news for him, which is, hey, Josie's gone. 
But Harry knows, and we know that. And I love the interaction between the two of them, though, and and Pete breaking down and then him saying, no offense, but I loved her. <laughs> Harry's like, okay, none taken. I'm just like, what? I know. Only in Twin Peaks, yeah. you know, where it's like, so many people are hot for Josie. I do love that. I, I don't know how far or how well it clicked in Harry's mind, but for Pete, it seemed very, like, Leading, like, no, you've just got the information wrong about the cousin assistant, Jonathan, Mr. Lee. That's what I, cousin assistant, Jonathan, Mr. Lee. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Who is he to Josie and why, you know, why is she hiding this person's identity? Because even when she left town, we don't really know. Like, okay, so obviously we know it's probably not really her cousin because they did have an intimate moment, but mm-hmm. I mean, we not did her wonder about that. We did wonder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love how Pete's just like, no, that's her assistant. Anyway, got things to do. And Harry's just kind of like, huh. You yeah. know, like- I, I wrote down that I was like, I feel like there's not enough urgency in this scene for the information that's coming out. Well, also, when- Harry does mention about Ben having the mill or cat, you know, that whole, the whole mill thing. Yeah. And Pete's like, well, it's like, what was Pete going to tell him? Because Harry's like, don't worry. You don't have to explain it to me. And I was screaming at the TV. I was like, yes, he does. Because he's got information that you need, Harry. Yeah. But that's Pete's little secret for right now. (laughs) But I love how Pete was just like, you know, but Harry wasn't like, well, do you want to elaborate on that, Pete? You know, like. He totally had an opportunity to get yeah. that information. And yeah. it was just like, oh, don't worry. You don't have to explain it to me. I understand. <laughs> no, I mean, the plot doesn't want me to do this right now. So just don't worry about it. Yeah, true. True. Oh, and then also, obviously, Coop does come in to let uh, Harry know that Mike has escaped his uh, his setup at the Great Northern. So Andy faints when he sees Lucy with a baby. That's literally all I wrote because that's literally all that happened. Yeah, it's it's silly. I mean, he fully thinks that time has... I mean, he's also experiencing time in Twin Peaks. He thinks that's his child. Yeah. He's like, wow, Lucy went away for two days and came back with a baby. This so is amazing. that's what an abortion is. <laughs> so that's a super sperm, huh? <laughs> yes, you have the ability to speed up time, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a whole damn town. Uh- <laughs> Pete slips down to the holding cell and presents Ben with a business opportunity. Catherine's corroboration as an alibi for his company. I love this scene. I could watch Pete do like just, it was just the maniacal laughing and everything that was going on. It was so childish, but yet so great. Like, a nanny nanny boo boo hasn't type been thing. this happy in so long. He is yeah. just this is yeah, what a gift Catherine has given him to go and do this and present this information. And oh, that laughter, Jack Mance is so good. It's so much fun. You can't help but just be like, oh yeah, all right, I love this. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was like bopping along. I was like, yes. turn the musical on, right? Because yeah. Ben was like, oh, what is this? Like, You're going to turn some carrying musical? it like a fucking yeah. boombox. Boombox? Yes, yes. And I mean, what a saint Pete is because given the information that's on this tape, he's clearly so forgiving and has clearly like turned full circle and become super smitten with his wife again. I mean, he just seems like he is so in love. He is so on board for this game that's happening. And yeah, what a sweetheart. 
I love it. And then his parting words, I just want this like on my tombstone if I pass away is, she's a caution, isn't she? <laughs> what does that even, <laughs> okay, what does that even mean? I'll make it happen. I you heard it here as my living will. But like, yes. what does that even mean? Like, watch out for her. Like, she's a caution, isn't she? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I don't like I just kept thinking cautionary tale, but I don't think that's what he means. I don't know. But yeah, just the fact that I can't line. figure it out is great. Yes, that's what's so great about it. Leland is laid back with his mind on golfing and golfing on his mind when he <laughs> nearly crashes into Cooper and Harry. Maddie's in the trunk along for the ride and Leland seems to flirt with danger. So this is the part we were talking about earlier where it was like, okay, hey, uh, reality check. You have a dead body, your niece yeah. in the trunk of your car. Yeah. How about you straighten up, you know, you're driving. And then even when he invites Cooper like back there, that whole thing freaked me out because I was like, okay, is he trying to knock Cooper out with a golf club? Like what is... But yet it's also very strategic because it's like, well, if I go ahead and open my trunk, you know, what would they be suspicious of? You know, it's that type of like, I'm two steps ahead of you type move. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it feels like on the face of it, it feels sloppy because it's like Cooper will just see the blood and the dead body. But yeah, maybe you're not expecting him to come all the way around. So you're kind of, yeah, you're the two steps ahead. But the driving in general, like he also gets off so easy. Like why, how does he not even get a ticket? Why is there, there's no like verbal warning of any kind. Like they're so easy on this man for some reason. And then, I mean, like fucking the secret dairy of Laura Palmer. I mean, (laughs) this little shit. I know. He was like, something about a dairy. And then Cooper's like, dairy? Diary? Are oh, you dyslexic? that could be it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just add that to Leland's repertoire. He's also dyslexic on top of everything else. It's, like, it's just, it's so, it's so strange because, okay, so when, before they get out of their cars, though, Leland is singing yet another oh. show tune. Cooper is whistling the same song. Yes. And it's more of that, like, he doesn't yet know why or how, but he's being drawn towards Leland, towards Bob in this way. And then they get out of the car and they're having this conversation. And it's like a couple of old fucking pals from high school being like, oh, that's so funny that you were driving like that. Like, better keep your, put your worries away when you're on the, like, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Give him a ticket. Do so, like, why is he not on house arrest? He murdered a man and claimed temporary insanity. Put him in his house. I just, yeah, I don't. (sighs) I don't get it. That was a big, heavy sigh because it's like, I, yeah, I don't understand it. Yeah. I I mean, mean, we wouldn't get the choice things like, oh, something about a dairy, which I think is hilarious. It's yeah. yeah, but you know, whatever. Twin Peaks, I guess. But yeah, like he, Mm -hmm. we obviously already talked about how easily he got off anyway. But just now that he's just, uh, you know, driving around town, like uh, haphazardly almost causing accidents. And they're just like, oh, (laughs) he didn't fit. He failed driver's head. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, it's got a dead body in his trunk. Like, come on. Yeah. I know they don't know that, but it's just, it's weird. Yeah. So. But they do find out Mike's location, so they do haul ass out of there. And we do see that Leland is still Bob because he does take a glance into the mirror again. So we're still, you know, we still got Bob in charge. He's still here. 
He's still here. Yeah, he's close. Andy wants to speak to Lucy privately about his sperms, but he keeps getting interrupted by Gwen. Okay, first of all, Hawk brings Mike in. Is Mike handcuffed to his jeans? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I rewind that so many times and I could not figure it out. I'm sorry. But he's got, I, I shouldn't laugh at a person with one, no. but that's so funny. No, but I mean, it's little things like that that I noticed that really gets me questioning, like, what the fuck is going on here? Because they, he makes it a point to, like, it's almost like he's saying the cuff is too tight on his wrist because he's like, uh, you know, like moving his wrist. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I could think of was, what are you cuffed to? Right. Because he wasn't I'm, cuffed at I'm all. I'm going to look up photos from the episode <laughs> and, and I'll get to the bottom of it. That is so funny. But I do have an all caps like, is Mike cuffed to his pants? Like, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, but Gwen, okay, Gwen and Lucy are just so obviously related with their <sighs> stories, the way they tell things. The hair. Oh, the hair. Hers is just a little brighter. She's just a little yeah. taller. But I love it because she's just like, yeah, and I can't believe I passed out in the produce section pregnant and just the bruises. And I'm like, you're what? Like, <laughs> just the whole story. And Andy is just looking at her like, what? Basically, he wants to tell Lucy that, you know, his sperms are swimmers again. And so he's obviously the father of this baby. But they both have to tell Gwen to, like, shut up so they can get the get that conversation going. Yeah, I mean, this actress is doing great work in being obnoxious, but it's almost like a little too much for me. Like, I'm I hope I hope Gwen goes home soon. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's it's a very annoying Lucy. Let's put it that way. Yes. Yeah. Well, Harry's had it. God damn it. Officially. He charges (laughs) Ben with the death of Laura Palmer, even though Cooper has his doubts. All right. So here's the thing, you know. Uh, Mike, this I'm still calling him Mike because he's still being used to try to suss yeah. out Bob. So yeah. he meets with Ben. He says it's close, but Bob is not here. You know, there's a little bit. Now, this scene is a little hectic because it's like you've got Mike saying, you know, no. And then you've got Ben saying, I'm not, you know, what's going on here? And then you've got Cooper saying or trying to say, OK, let's look at the facts here. And then Harry's just like, fuck all y'all. Open your mouth again, Ben Horn. I'm going to take your ass to jail. And what does Ben do? He opens his mouth and then Harry just lays the law on him. And he does not give a shit. And he's like, cuff him, take him. I'm done with this. And Cooper tries to like talk to him. And then Harry even tries, like he puts the smack down on Cooper. He's like, you know what? You're in my backyard or however that conversation mm-hmm. went down, you know, and he... And Cooper, well, he's, like, like, he's like, I'm tired. I'm I've had enough of the mumbo jumbo and yeah. the giants and all of this stuff. And it's like, I can't blame Harry because in this guy's mind, they have some pretty dar- damning evidence against Ben Horn. And, you know, like it is his job to find the murderer. And it's like it sucks because, you know, that there's a great respect between these two men. But he does have to kind of, I guess, quote unquote, pull rank in this way. And he like, yeah, he gives him the business, but it's like he he still does it in a way where, like, I don't think that anything between them is ruined necessarily. And right. you you love to see Coop's reaction too, where he's like, you're right. This is your backyard. Sometimes outsiders can forget that. Although I do. He walks away immediately. And I'm like, did he go cry? Like, was I this know, too much I, for Coop? I really was like, uh oh, because. It, he, it's just the look he had on his face where he was like, yeah, OK, you know what? I am probably overstepping some boundaries here. 
Um, Harry's been really cool with all of my theories and, you know, my kind of out of this world type things. But like, he's also got a point here as well. I've got hard, quote unquote, hard evidence against right. Ben Horn, you know? And so, but I think it did hurt Cooper's feelings. And I, I don't think it's going to hurt their friendship, but I hate to see that. I do too. And there's something about, yeah, it's like so much more than just two cops having a disagreement about how to go about handling a case. Like there's so many more layers to it for two dudes that have known each other for two weeks. It's really incredible how much emotion, tenderness, even vulnerability is there between the two of them. And at the end of the day, you still feel like there's a great amount of respect shown between the two of them. There's something on Harry's face, though, when Coop walks away. I can't get a read on what it is. Is he, is there something about the way Coop said that, that he's sort of regretting how he came or how he came across? Is there something that he's realizing? Is he like, nah, maybe Ben's not the guy? Like, I don't know. Did you get a read on what that reaction was? I mean, I definitely picked up on the reaction, but I... (sighs) It was a little blank in some ways for me, too, which is a typical Harry where it's like (laughs) he's starting where he's maybe starting to process something. But we don't we don't know what it is yet. But there definitely was a reaction. And there was a I I, at first I really leaned towards it being the oh, shit, like, okay, I just kind of lost my shit a little bit here, you know, by losing it on Ben Horn and then also losing it on Coop. So I don't know if it was that. But like you said, also could be like, okay, well, maybe there are things I'm not taking into consideration here, you know, about all of Cooper's crazy intuitions to bet whatever it may be, you know, like yeah. they so far have gotten us yeah. a lot of progress they got in the you case. This far. Yeah. 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 Um, and like before we leave this scene, I just I have to mention Jerry saying, clearly this man's stairs do not reach the attic. And I was like, <laughs> Jerry, look in the mirror, man. No, oh, no, man. <laughs> Pot meat kettle. Hello. <laughs> You're too pickle short of a sandwich, my friend. All Ooh, right. So. I like that one. <laughs> Hank's gnawing on ribs like a dog with a bone. But how do we feel about his dice tie? Okay. Uh, Viv, <laughs> Vivian's new husband, Ernie, knows Hank from prison, but claims he's cleaned up. Okay. Just the way that you've got. Norma and Vivian, like, really talking about the salmon and this and that about it. But then you just, then you just look over at Hank, and he's got, like, a rib hanging. He's like Fred Flintstone over there, okay? I'm pretty got sure a rib he hanging out of his sauce on his face during yes. the whole conversation. <laughs> and I am just like, Norma, why? I know, I know. <laughs> this guy, he is an un- Coo swine. But anywho. Like, but I feel like on a better man, it would come across like, oh, that's kind of sweet. Like, he's just enjoying his meal, whatever. But on Hank, yeah. it's like, you're fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Like, ew. Get get a wet nap. Like, do, do something, something with that. Yeah. And also, Ernie, uh, oh, I'm trying to tell the truth. Then tell Vivian you were in prison. Like. Okay. Uh, well, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you what it was for me in this scene. It's the it's the fact that they met at a Republican fundraiser. I mean, not <laughs> yeah. the Republican fundraiser. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that says it all. I was like, wow. Well, just pack it up, boys. We already know what's going on here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he. Um, <laughs> you know, I have I, a feeling that maybe, with the exception of like Cooper and maybe Harry, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Republicans in Twin Peaks. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Seriously though, did you clock the dice tie? I did not. Now I have to go look at that picture. Hank's tie, 
the top of it, first of all, is a clip-on. It's not a real tie. Oh, he's got the domino. Oh, it's a domino, not yeah, a die. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, sorry. Oh, now that no wonder that didn't make any sense. Now it feels silly. It's a oh, domino, well, whatever. Not a dice. It does. I mean, a domino looks like dice, though. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I'm seeing I meant a domino. Now. He has. Yeah. Like a, it's like a bow tie, but it's like a clip-on domino. What a loser. <laughs> First of all, like, give it a rest. We get it. Like, what is your nickname, Domino, or something oh like my that? God. Like, yeah, maybe that was like a prison nickname or something. <sighs> Anyways, Gross. yeah. So, get Domino on out of here. That's how I feel. <laughs> Knock him down. Honestly, for the next scene, this is really what I have in my notes. Dot dot dot. Insert weird. Don't worry, I'm still a virgin. Talk. Dot dot dot. One hundred fucking percent. Okay, like, all right. So basically, Ugh. yeah, like Audrey arrives in Coop's room. I she was probably in one of her little hidey holes waiting for the right moment when Coop still had his shirt open so she could pop in and be like, is that where you got shot? But at first I was so impressed because I was like, oh, they're really dialing back the sexual stuff between these two. Because the way, even the way she asked, oh, is that where you got shot? It felt like a kid being interested in something. It felt very platonic. It didn't have any weird undertones to it. And then she sits on his bed. And then she's got to prove for some reason that she's still pure, that she didn't let anybody touch her. And he knows already what do you mean? And he's, like, I and, and he's reassuring her. Yeah. yeah like, like who cares? Who gives a shit? Yeah. Like I wrote in my notes, sick wound, bro. Cause it was kind of <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, like you see somebody like they just had a skateboarding accident or whatever. You're like, Ooh, cool scratch. Yeah. Like that's how it felt. And then all of a sudden it was like, Nope, flip it over to I'm on the bed. And I'm, that's when everything changes is when she bleh. has to sit on his bed. There are chairs available, ma'am. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, and that these are the things in Cooper, though, where I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I, I want to believe that it's like him trying to reassure her because he doesn't want her to think even like think that way. But it doesn't come off that way. It comes off as him saying, don't worry, I know you're still pure for me or it like does. something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, ew, 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 don't like gross. Yeah. Yeah, I was really disappointed. I thought it was going in a different direction. But uh, but he does get a phone call and he tells her to go to her room and lock the door. This also got me going down and just a rabbit hole in my mind of does Audrey have a room, like a real bedroom in the Great Northern or is this one of the guest rooms like her bedroom? Oh, my God. I don't know. I, I mean, because I don't know where, why. Where but did just... we see them eat that one time? Was that just in... I, I feel like they have to have a private part of the Great Northern. There's got to be something oh, yeah. where they actually live. Well, we did see them, yes, when they were one of the first uh, episodes of season one at, after Laura was murdered. Um, well, duh, that's like off camera anyway. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. the very beginning of season one, but it almost looked like it was... Um, like underneath his office or something weird. Like it, it, because there were those weird stairs that he came down because they were, I'm remembering oh, this. Like he yeah, came yeah, down yeah, those yeah. stairs and Sylvia and Johnny and Audrey were like already yes. at the table. Yes. So I'm like, are these stairs like down from his office? Like that's what 
It, yeah, I mean, it does they it for equate sure to me. live at the Great Northern, but yeah. I'm unclear as to whether or not they have like private quarters or something. Right, yeah. right. Maybe she can just rent a different room every night. Like, oh man, that'd be nice. You know what? I'm getting filmed the junior executive suite tonight. Thanks. Yeah, why not? And unfortunately, Maddie has been found wrapped in plastic. Um, unfortunately, oh, sorry, oh. I did want to say oh. when when Cooper yeah. answers the phone, the music completely shifts into something like super dark because it was a lot lighter and sort of that romantic theme as him and Audrey are talking. But it like instantly shifts into this much darker theme. And it it's mi- mixed in is the sound of a record skipping, which I thought was such a fun choice. Fun. Ugh. That's like the total wrong yeah. word for it. But you guys know what I mean. It just it. This was this is what I mean where I was like, we've got a great opening and a great ending to this episode that help us like stay in the vibe of lonely souls. And this is where we start to get back to that. Absolutely. Yes. Because then we see that, like, you know, like I said, Maddie's been found and she's wrapped in plastic is eerily similar to Laura. Yeah. Um, although she just does not have that blue tint to her that long like she doesn't have the I model could, glow yeah i couldn't help but get disgusted with myself because my first thought was she's not as pretty dad as laura was and i was like <laughs> melissa mouse that well, is listen, so rude but she had to be under the artificial light of this by the way much more massive setup than when they went to discover Laura's body. And I was like, is this because it's nighttime and they needed these lights and they needed a bigger thing? But anyways, she didn't have the natural glow of the Twin Peaks sun and sort of the water reflecting off of her. So it just wasn't the same scenario. She didn't have the same, you know, advantages going for her. So this is true. This is true. Yeah. But poor Um, Maddie. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Bless it. Yeah. But that is where we end the scene or we end the episode. So, yeah. Great ending. Like, great ending. Yeah. I am glad, like, if we had to take time during this episode to just sort of let Leland Bob do his thing, at least we didn't waste too much time in finding what has happened to Maddie. Right. All right. Well, I guess we're going to head into the spoiler slash connection section. Um, yeah. If uh, if you're not joining us, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. And we're back. In hey. the spoiler connection section, <laughs> I have one thing this week, and that's it. Okay. The only thing that I really thought about in to the future while watching this was when Bobby says to Shelly, I'm going to give you everything. Um, just to think about when we come back in the return, where they're at in their lives. Yeah. Uh, that it didn't work out between the two of them, but they do have a child together. I know. Um, I don't know. Like, I've got kind of some goosebumps, like, right yeah. now thinking about it because I'm like, you know what? Even if their love didn't work out, like, they made something together that um, is kind of like giving Shelly everything, right? Because I, I've, oh, I've always so gotten sweet. this. Isn't it, though? Because I've mm. always gotten this maternal, like, feel off of Shelly. I mean, you even see it when she's, she doesn't have to by any means take care of Leo. Like she, but no, but she does. You know what I mean? So it's like that sort of a maternal type 
feel to like, okay, I have a responsibility. So I say all of that. I'm not trying to say like, she's only meant to like have children, but I feel like that's something that when he says, I'm going to give you everything. I just think to the future about, you know, them having a daughter and and it kind of made me tear up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Cause I was like, Oh gosh. It's really bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah, always, like, it is. That is the only way I can describe. I mean, that's how I describe so much of what happens in the return. But yeah, it's like, it is lovely that they have Becky, but I wanted more for I know. them. Me too. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, maternal people, maternal things, my spoiler section thing is about Vivian. Um, I feel like I never guessed it, but... The first thing she says has to do with food. And then she's talking later about the salmon. She's making all these comments like, you should have known that this is M.T. Wentz, right? But I feel like actually for all that I hate Vivian and all that I dislike the M.T. Wentz plot line, it's actually plopped in in a really good moment because you're way too focused on other things. And there's so much has happened before the initial, like before Louis's big announcement that MT Wentz is coming that you're like not even thinking about that. So it's actually a really good, I think it's good storytelling. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. Like I totally didn't get it the first time around, but like now that I'm, well, A, because I already know. I mean, I don't want to like, push aside the fact that I do already know what happens in Twin Peaks. You're but like, also, this time I figured it out right away. But <laughs> I, for some reason this time, it's like I already knew. Yeah, somehow. so no. weird. But it is funny how it they do set it up to what you would feel like would be pretty obvious, right? Like you're like, yeah. oh, okay. She's yeah. the food critic. But yeah, which I guess she's super critical and judgmental from what we've seen ever. So I guess it's a good thing that she has a food critic. <laughs> She found her calling in I life. I know. I know. But like, what are they trying to say? I feel like somebody in the writing staff doesn't like food critics or something. Or like, this is like a really one dimensional take on a food critic because like, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're like hypercritical and awful people just because they're food critics, but whatever. Oh, you know, something else that just came to me, which is just a fleeting thought comment to make is, um, you know, Bob, you made a good point, or this made me think of this when you said it in the episode. Now that he's done with his quote-unquote killing, right, and he wants to be kind of kooky crazy and all this other stuff, it's very uh, interesting to see the Bob in the return through Mr. C when he's in a body or in some a vessel that where he could quote-unquote really be himself because... He over, okay, because we know that he overtook a doppelganger. I don't want to get like too crazy with this, but he overtook a doppelganger uh, for at the end of this season and into the return. But in this instance, he overtook someone who already existed. Yeah. So it's that, it's just, it's weird to me that you don't see him footloose and fancy free. Yeah. Bob and the return, you know, like there's no, there's no moments of dancing. There's no moments of kookiness so is that just because he's in Leland like I'm getting no, real a, weird yeah. with this but no, like no, no, it's, it's such a good thing? point it's such a good point and like it kind of I mean yeah I feel like Leland must be the song and dance type for that and it's just like come I don't, yeah I don't know or it's like the expression of a spirit is different in a doppelganger versus a human 
maybe like Coop's do- doppelganger is evil enough that he just like shut that shit down. He was like, we are not here to do Broadway tunes. That's not what we're doing together. That's not the kind of True. work that I want to do with you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Or maybe like maybe Bob got over his love for show tunes or something. I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting point, though. Yeah, it's just it's a stark difference. The Bob totally. we get in the return. And the Bob that, I mean, don't, yeah, the Sinister is still there and it's better in the return, obviously. But that kooky side of it, though, that you could really, if Bob was a real person walking around, you could be like, he might be a serial killer, but he might also enjoy jazz hands. It's up in the air. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, so this makes me think, because I was going to say, maybe it's an effect of how long he has been with the doppelganger. And this could still be true because, again, it's doppelganger versus human. But Bob has been with Leland for 40 years, which is longer than he's been with the doppelganger of Coop. But... Does does Bob leave Leland? Because I don't think that Bob has ever left Mr. C in the 25 years that have passed between season two and season three. Whereas there is a possibility maybe that Leland has not always been inhabited by Bob, like not 24-7. Like there's a chance that Bob goes back to the Black Lodge to kick it with his other spirit friends. Like, I don't know. But it, it yeah. And then that brings up questions of like, is it like that because he doesn't have to then take medication to keep the spirit at bay like Philip Gerard does? So, yeah, there's a lot of logistics there that I'm yeah. Maybe we can just keep talking about as we get further into things, but yeah, for sure. Because you think about the things that Leland. Um, I mean, he married Sarah. They had right. a child. I mean, he became he a could lawyer. Be Judy. Well, yeah, Jowday, and um, I don't know, like you. I just, it feels like it would be an in and out of body experience with Leland because mm-hmm. he's able, or I don't want to say he's able to have moments, but it seems like in his life, he's had moments of a uh, not sinister nature. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't get that with Mr. C, you know, it's like right off the bat, it's like, you know, he does horrible things right off the bat. There's <laughs> there's not one moment of lightness. No. With Mr. No. C. Yeah. Yeah. Very so. interesting. Interesting. Great point. Yeah. I'm so glad that yeah. you brought that up. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing it up to begin with. Well, if that's all for this week, let's take a moment to remember Maddie Ferguson. Now that your body has been found, may your soul find peace in Missoula and be lonely no more. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at DamnFineTV. You can find me on Instagram at DamnFineWitch and Mel's at SuperficialMel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's DamnFineTV. Damn Fine TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks.